Thanks for joining us for Him We Proclaim with Pastor John Fonville. We're in our series called Five Solas, the five Latin phrases that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Last time we talked about Sola Scriptura, our final authority. Today is Solus Christus, Christ alone, our only mediator. We'll be asking and answering key questions such as, Is Christ the only way to heaven? Do we find Christ or does he find us? Why is this important? Let's take a look at what the Reformers brought us in today's teaching. Here's John with part two of Solus Christus, our only mediator. Jerry Bridges says this. He says, the gospel is infinitely precious. And like a diamond, the gospel has many facets that display its glory and brilliance. All these facets have one common essence in the stone itself. For example, Christ is our sin bearer. He is our wrath bearer, our curse bearer, our righteousness, our ransom, our redemption. All these facets proclaim the same glorious message, Christ died for our sins. It is inexhaustible. And so this announcement, Christ died for our sins, comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4, and I want to direct your attention this morning to the rest of this morning to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verses 3 and 4. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which is paramount. This is where we get our name, the name of our church from. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What is it? Here it is. It's very clear. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That is the Old Testament. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so Paul says, if you read Genesis through Malachi properly, you're going to see that of paramount importance, of first importance, the Old Testament teaches you And it says clearly, Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried for us, and Christ rose again for us on the third day according to the scriptures. So these words take us to the three paramount truths of the gospel and to the heart of Solus Christus, Christ alone. Here's the first. Christ alone died for our sins. Christ alone died for our sins. Paul says the gospel is the solution for our sin. Now, I know sin is not a popular message to preach in the evangelical church today because it's supposed to be about your best life now. And you don't like to get your best life now if you're being told what? All about how bad you are, right? But to truly understand the gospel as good news, you have to first understand the bad news. And it's really bad. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that the law gives to us the knowledge of our sin. Therefore, it reveals to us our need of Christ, who alone died for our sin. The scriptures teach that we are born sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born sinners. You see the difference? From the time of of conception in our mother's womb, David prays in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This original sin, this fallen condition into which we are all born, is why we all commit acts of sin. 
which is what Paul says in Romans 3.23, you know this passage well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our fallenness is pervasive. We confess the pervasive nature of our sin week after week in the liturgy during confession. We have sinned in thought, word, and deed. It extends to our minds, our bodies, all of creation is fallen under the curse. It fallen, our fallenness is pervasive. And because we are born with a sinful nature and commit acts of sin, listen to what Paul says in Romans 2.5. Because of this, we aggravate our condition before God and increase it. Listen, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so as sinners, we are increasing our storehouse of wrath the more we sin. And so we are objects of God's wrath and judgment, as Paul plainly says in Romans 8, 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Paul says we stand unrighteous and guilty before a holy and righteous judge. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, as he quotes Psalm, the Psalms. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. This is the law's indictment on the fallenness of humanity. But then the good news Paul announces is this. Christ died for our sins. You see, this phrase puts forward two key ideas and implies a third. Christ alone is our substitute. Christ alone is our sacrifice. Christ alone is our Savior. Let me just quickly help you understand this. Christ alone is our substitute. Christ died for our sins. Paul says the gospel announces the good news that Christ alone died for our sins in our place as our substitute. Now, the prophet Isaiah, which we read every Lord's Supper, clearly sets forth this idea of substitution. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6, Isaiah says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's substitution. Innocent for the guilty. Christ died for our sins. And so the gospel announces that Jesus Christ alone suffered as our substitute on the cross, bearing the punishment of our sin that we deserve as our substitute. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. He was our substitute alone. Christ died for our sins. That implies that he was our sacrifice. Christ alone is our sacrifice. 
This idea of sacrifice was foreshadowed in the temporary Mosaic Old Covenant sacrificial system. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the Levitical high priest, who was nothing but a temporary shadow of the great high priest, Jesus himself, had to first make a sin offering for himself before he could make a sin offering for the people because he was an imperfect priest. And so in making a sin offering for the people, two goats were selected, and the high priest would cast lots over the goats, and so the goats would either become the slain goat or the scapegoat. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that both goats served as foreshadows of the person and work of Christ himself. When you're looking at the the Mosaic Levitical sacrificial system, you are looking at temporary pictures of the person and work of Jesus himself. And in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, the author focuses upon Good Friday, showing us in Hebrews chapter 9 that Good Friday is the ultimate day of atonement. It is the day of atonement to which all the previous days of atonement pointed. And so what did it point to? Well, the sprinkled blood of the slain goat foreshadowed Christ's propitiation, Christ's full exhaustion of God's wrath against us for our sin, which was read to you this morning from 1 John. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 The author says, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was the slain goat. The sending away of the scapegoat foreshadowed the result of Christ's propitiation. What is that? The the expiation of our sin, the removal of our sins from us. In Psalm 103, verse 12, David prays this prayer. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What is he saying? There's a Hebrew way of expressing an infinite distance. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us with our sin. By his death on the cross, Jesus carried all our sins away from us forever. Just as that scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness, carrying symbolically the sins of the people as the priest laid his hands on that goat and sent the goat into the wilderness never to return, Jesus is the ultimate day of atonement scapegoat who forever carries our sin away from the presence of a holy God. No matter how grievous they may be, no matter how much sin you as a believer continue to commit, listen, forgiveness of your sins, Heidelberg Catechism question 56, what do you mean by the forgiveness of sins? Answer, because of Christ's satisfaction, he will no longer remember our sins, that is, he won't hold them against you, nor will he hold against you your sinful nature, which you have to struggle with your whole life. Did you hear that? Aren't you happy that God does not, for Christ's sake, hold against you the sinful nature that you're going to struggle with when you leave here today? Why? Because he graciously imputes to us the righteousness of Christ that we may never come into condemnation. 
The end time verdict of judgment has already been rendered on our behalf in the present. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You, let, you can just let it shout. That's okay. If you can't shout about that, then boy. Oh. Listen, in Christ's sacrifice alone, we have an all-sufficient exhaustion of the wrath of God. He is our propitiation. He is our slain goat. And in Christ's sacrifice alone, we have an all-sufficient removal, expiation of our sin from the presence of God forever. He is our substitute. He is our sacrifice. And because of that, he is our Savior. Christ alone is our Savior. This is the meaning of the angel when he announced to Joseph in uh, Matthew 121. He says to Joseph, your wife Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus loves sinners and he came to save them. He loves you. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter proclaims, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Christ alone. So this announcement of the forgiveness of sins through the death of Christ was central to the apostles' preaching. It was central to the reformers' preaching. It was central in the Reformation. This Latin slogan, Solus Christus, Christ alone died for our sins. Second, look what Paul says. Not only without the cross is, the, is there no gospel and no salvation, but look what he says else is paramount. He says Christ was buried. How many times have we spoken about the gospel and left out the burial of Jesus? I'm guilty of that, right? How could we miss this? Paul unequivocally states that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection constitute the paramount truths of the gospel. These are central to our confession of Solus Christus. Christ's death was succeeded by his burial, and Paul says it is of first importance, it is the fundamental article of our faith. The apostle says that. Why? Because Jesus' burial proves that he truly died. Why? Why did he have to, to prove that he truly died? Because of the curse. And the day that you eat of this, you shall surely... He had to die to bear the curse. And when he died, he truly endured the curse for his people, and he brought the curse to an end. His burial sanctified the grave. Death is terrible. Don't ever let anybody tell you a funeral is a celebration. It is not. We are grateful that the people who die, die in the Lord, and that is a good thing. But it is not a celebration. It's a tragedy because death is not the way it is supposed to be. Paul says it is, in 1 Corinthians 15, it is our enemy. It's not the way it's supposed to be. My sister-in-law's sister-in-law just died from cancer, and it was a horrific sight watching that. Christ's burial sanctifies the grave so that what was death for Jesus becomes rest for the believer. 
Christ's burial testifies to the reality of resurrection. Because if Jesus had not died and been subsequently buried, he could not have been raised from the grave. And so this leads us, Paul says, to the third paramount truth of the gospel. Christ alone was not only died for our sins, he was not only buried, but he was alone raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He goes on in chapter 15 to tell you that the resurrection is the key to everything. If there's no resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're found to be false witnesses against God. If Christ is not raised, the dead are not raised. Nothing matters. But you see, the resurrection was the Father's amen to the finished work of Christ. Because Christ alone rose from the dead, you can be assured, the Father says, that he has accomplished what he purposed to do in his first coming. And what was that purpose? He tells you in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to Martha, and he says to us, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? The scriptures alone direct us to Christ alone, who alone died for our sins, who alone was buried and who alone was raised on the third day? And the question that confronts us from Solus Christus is Jesus' question, do you believe this? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? This is the question that Solus Christus sets before us. Could we find one who loves us more? The Belgic Confession says, though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, taken the form of man and of a servant for us, and was made like his brethren in every respect. If we had to look for another intercessor, could we find one who loves us more than he who laid down his life for us, even while we were his enemies? What more is needed? Again, listen to the Belgic Confession. What more is needed? Christ himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Why should we look for another advocate? It has pleased God to give us his son as our advocate. Let us then not leave him for another or even look for another without ever finding one. For when God gave him to us, he knew very well that we were sinners. What more is needed? Who could love us more? Where should we look and why should we look for another advocate? Christ alone is our substitute. Christ alone is our sacrifice. Christ alone is our savior. Where else should we look? As we finish this morning with Solus Christus, I'm going to give you a story about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he, he came to realize that Christ alone is all we need. In contrast to all the seven steps that Rome provides for salvation and the holy pilgrimages and all the things that he was doing and the self-flagellation and he was almost unconscious, he traded all of that stuff because he came to realize that all we need is Christ alone. 
this, there's a great illustration of this in the 1953 movie, Martin Luther, that we're going to be watching in just a couple weeks, Lord willing. And in one of my favorite scenes, Luther discusses the issue of relics with the spiritual father, Johann von Staupitz. Don't you love that name? I'm glad I'm not Johann von Staupitz. But the conversation begins with Staupitz asking Luther, Luther, you don't think much of my relics, doctor. Luther answers, I am not sure that Christ does. <laughs> Only Luther could talk like this. I wish I was Martin Luther, especially in the day and age of social media. You know, it's like, you could get away with it, but I can't. But, but I'm not sure that Christ does. Dear vicar, I wish I could be the kind of Christian that sees, hears, believes, and worships and has an end of it. Stalpitz replies to Dr. Luther, Dr. Luther, relics are not an end in themselves. They are merely symbols of the holy men and women whose sanctity enables them to intercede on our behalf before God. Luther answers, symbols, it's true, but is the symbol replacing the meaning? Is the meaning itself lost? If it is, dear vicar, and I say if, then we are lost lost and damned. Stalpitz pauses and he walks over to a crucifix that is hanging on the monastery's wall and he says to Luther, this is a symbol too. And Luther asks, but is it God's supreme gift of his only son we adore or is it the splinters of the wood or the rust of the nails that we worship? Stalpitz answers Luther, the crucifix makes the agony of Christ more vivid for the simple Christian. You see, back then they couldn't read. So they were taught by pictures, images that violates God's second commandment. The little peasant with his prayer to St. Christopher for safe journey. The poor widow with her tiny Madonna. The soldier going into battle with his rosary. Yes, even the duke with his noble gifts to Christ church. Would you take all these away, doctor? You are the people's priest. You cannot afford to shatter their faith by tearing away its visible supports. Luther then asks Stalpitz, as their priest responsible to God for their souls, can I afford not to? Symbols to inspire devotion, yes, but crutches to uphold a tottering faith? Stalpitz asked Luther, Doctor, whence all this sudden doubt? Luther says to him, this is no sudden doubt. It's a growing certainty. Dear vicar, what, what little certainty I have you gave to me. You heard my sin. You sent me to Rome to fortify my faith. You sent me to the scripture to find my God. You brought me here to Wittenberg to preach his word, and here in my room I have been preparing my lectures on the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. And here I think I have found the truth at last, and when I found it, it was though as though the gates of heaven were open to me. Romans 1, 17. And then he has Stalpitz read the passage, and Stalpitz reads... For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he reads that passage and looks at Luther, and he looks at him and says, And so? 
And Luther responds, worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith, man lives and is made, declared righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be an adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Stalpitz replies, Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian only to live by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? And Luther replies, Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Man. <laughs> That's Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ is all a sinner needs. Amen. Thanks, John. That's part two of Solus Christus, our only mediator. More from the five Solus series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.